This is a Tech Briefs Media Group podcast. Welcome to another Who's Who at NASA podcast. NASA successfully launched five rockets this week, the week of March 27th, from its Wallops Flight Facility in Virginia. The launch was part of NASA's Anomalous Transport Rocket Experiment, or ATRIX, which will help scientists better understand the jet stream. The five suborbital rockets launched to the edge of space more than 60 miles above Earth. On the podcast today, we have Jack Vieira, the range project manager for the ATRIX mission. Jack, thanks for being with us. Yes, good afternoon, Billy. I appreciate you finding interest in this mission. Sure, Jack. Let's uh, set the stage here. Can you take us through what happened on Tuesday and, and uh, the day that the rockets launched? Well, we had a very dynamic uh, operations that night. Uh, we, uh, we, were, we knew that we were going to have some difficulties with winds that evening, and uh, so we set up a little bit later than we would typically. Uh, we had a launch window from midnight until uh, 5 a.m., and uh, we knew that winds were going to be strong, but hopefully dissipating somewhat or laying down a little bit as the, as the evening progressed. So uh, in anticipation of that, we opened the window at uh, 0200 local rather than midnight, and uh, we still had quite a gale force winds. Well, I wouldn't say gale, but they were very strong winds at that time, and uh, we were really concerned whether we'd be able to get the rockets off uh, that evening. But uh, luckily, the uh, wind gods were were smiling down on us, and uh, at the very end of the window, we did a Hail Mary pass <laughs> and uh, was able to get the rockets off. So the wind didn't affect the rockets? No. Uh, we, what we do is, um, with the sounding rockets, um, well, we had two rockets with attitude control systems, but most of the rockets uh, are, are point-and-shoot type rockets. And so we have to uh, we do wind waiting, uh, where we launch a bunch of balloons, a four-and-a-half-hour four balloon that goes up to 100,000-plus feet, and then a mid-altitude balloon up to, to 50,000 feet. And then uh, at a minute, uh, one hour and 15 minutes, we start launching 15-minute balloons every 15 minutes up to a chaff balloon for 15,000 feet. And we, what we do is we, we're capturing all that data as it goes up. And so we have a column of air from the surface all the way up to 100,000 feet with the, dis, you know, the definition of what the velocities and directions of the winds are. And with that, we calculate what the uh, azimuth and elevation settings should be so that we in uh, uh, we can anticipate what the winds are going to do with affecting the rockets. So, uh, for example, if we we had strong winds and we were we were going to launch uh, 100 degrees of azimuth at a uh, 87 degree elevation, uh, our winds corrections would change that. Uh, we could change it as much as 30 degrees in azimuth to make the correction so that it actually flies to 100 degrees. And uh, so that's what we did with uh, with those balloon, with those rockets. We had to do quite a bit of of uh, wind waiting on those. And what are the goals of the uh, the Atrix mission? What are you trying to discover? Uh, well, the the, the uh, PI, uh, Dr. Miguel Larson from Clemson University, was uh, he had made a proposal to NASA headquarters and uh, got it approved. Uh, they noticed that way back in the 1960s, and then uh, more recently with the with the uh, shuttle missions. They noticed that in the, uh, the higher altitudes, the 60 to 65 mile altitudes, they were they were, in, uh, they were they were noticing that there was extremely high winds between 200 and 300 mile per hour winds, and they just didn't understand what that what was the dynamics there. Why was that happening? 
And uh, then also there was the fact that uh, at those altitudes, some of the communications with satellites and such was being distorted some. So um, they were trying to get better understanding of what happens at those, those altitudes that create those kind of winds. And, and why is this mission so important? Um, why is it so important to learn about the, the jet stream? From a, a PI's perspective, uh, the project investigator, uh, and that's really his, his area of expertise, uh, but he, they just want to know what causes those winds. They, he, they, there's no models that show that those winds should be those velocities at those altitudes. So they're trying to understand a little bit more uh, so that they can create a better model, which would also affect weather and everything else. From a from a technology perspective, uh, how does it work, and and how will you uh, get what you need for data? Well, we we launched as you mentioned five rockets, and two of those rockets were mother daughter payloads. Uh, all five of the rockets had uh, trimethyl aluminum (TMA), uh, which is a chemical that once introduced to air ignites, it's, so it's a spontaneous ignition, and. They were that TMA was was ejected out of the payloads and brought into the atmosphere, and the winds would then carry that that, that cloud, the iridescent cloud that was formed from the ejection of that TMA. And so they had three different camera sites located: one of them in uh, North, in New Jersey, uh, one here at Wallops, and then one in North Carolina. And with that, uh, with those three locations, they were they were able to observe the the, the uh, TMA clouds and watch how the, the winds pushed it away so that what they were actually doing was coloring the winds so they could see what the winds were actually doing. The daughter portion of the two mother daughters had some instruments, so they were, they were measuring pressures and densities and temperatures and things. Now, can you take us through those five different, uh, those different rockets and their, and their functions? Sure. We had all five rockets were two-stage vehicles. Uh, we had one carrier Oriole, uh, two carrier Malamutes, and two Terrier Orions. So uh, all of the rocket motors, with the exception of the, of the Oriole, are DOD rocket motors that have expired in their, their time with the military. So they've, uh, they, they excess them, and so we take them. So it gives us a, a cheap method to get into space is with those, with those rocket motors from DOD. Mm-hmm. The uh, Oriole motor is a commercially, uh, commercially bought rocket motor. And uh, they were going up to altitudes uh, from uh, the highest one went to an altitude of, uh, let's see, apogee of uh, 403 kilometers. Mm-hmm. Well, that was the predicted altitude. And, and how do the rockets needed for Atrix compare with other rockets? How are these built differently, and what are the sort of defining different functions? Well, uh, the, these rockets were specifically built for uh, the chemical releases. Uh, we and, and it's not that special. We've we've, we've launched rockets with TMA uh, in the past uh, at different locations uh, from from here at Wallops uh, to uh, Poker Flats, Alaska, where we do a lot of our rocket launches, and also White Sands Missile Range down in New Mexico. So they're not really that different different than the other rockets. Uh, but uh, the mother daughter is is one that we you know we we launch mother daughter scenarios in the past. But they're not as typical as just as your single payload types. But yeah, they're they're, they're kind of basic for us. And, and the day of the launch, you could actually see those clouds from 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 here, right? 
Absolutely. They were within a 250-mile radius of Wallace. You can see those those clouds. We, we were getting pictures, uh, beautiful pictures from New Jersey. Uh, when, it, when we actually launched, uh, there, was a, there was a host of uh, aircraft uh, airliners that were reporting in saying uh, how beautiful the skies were looking from this. Uh, I don't know if uh, your readers know about uh, Harry Potter, but some, one of the pilots had actually said it looked like one of the Dementors from Harry Potter. <laughs> That's great, and so the the uh, the defining characteristic of trimethyl aluminum is that it, it's able to sort of color the uh, the wind. Is that what you said? That's correct. It, it gives a, it, uh, it instantaneously combusts with the introduction of oxygen. So it it burns and it gives and and the uh, residue from that burn is an iridescent cloud. Can you take us through the, the timeline of the project, how long this will take, and when, when do you get the data you're looking for? Uh, well, the, the data is, uh, we, we launched it on the 27th, as you said, and I was talking with the PI yesterday, and they, the data has already been collected, and they're doing the analysis now. So I would say within a couple of months they would, they would have their findings. Mm -hmm. uh, if you were looking at how long the mission lasted, Mm -hmm. We started the mission, uh, I was given this project uh, about, uh, geez, maybe it was uh, seven months ago, and uh, so we were building, we were doing all the payload buildup and uh, doing all the testing and getting the range in a, in a state of readiness for this mission. So it, it was a fairly quick, fairly quick mission, which is the kind I like the most. Sure. What were your biggest technical challenges in getting these rockets off the ground? Well, there was there's different aspects of, of, of challenges. One of them was that building the payloads. Uh, you know, this mission was was okayed by NASA uh, headquarters, and they immediately went into fabrication. So we built these from nothing, and uh, so so just the fabrication was was quite a challenge. Uh, after fabrication, we had to put them through test and evaluations, and and. You know, obviously, this isn't the only mission that we're doing. There's a lot of there's a lot of missions going on through the pipeline, and we were very very concerned about uh, being able to do this one without affecting the other missions as well. So, there was a lot of work uh, getting those built and fabricated. And then, from a range perspective, one of the biggest concerns I had there was uh, we had seven telemetry downlinks, and uh, that was that was going to be challenging to the range and. I was very happy to see that uh, it, it went off like clockwork with those guys. They they were able to receive all the all the telemetry links, and there was no uh, no no hits at all. It was perfect. And we've already sort of started talking about it, but can you go through your specific work with the mission as a range project manager? The steps involved in preparing for uh, this mission. Sure, uh, as a project manager, you know. I, it's, it's kind of hard to describe what a project manager is, but uh, I guess the best analogy for me is that I, I'm the orchestra leader. You know, I'm the guy with that little silly stick in front of the of the band. The band is the one that actually makes and creates the beautiful music, and I'm just lucky enough to be the one leading that effort. You know, we had a great team, but uh, basically, what you know, we do we have a uh, mission initiation conference or MIC where the project investigator, the PI, would come in and say, hey, this is what I want to do, and this is the, this is the requirements that, I'm, that I believe we, we, we have to have. Uh, and then we'd come back with a mission, with a uh, uh, design review, which 
we then present back to the PI saying, hey, we heard what you want, and this is how we plan to uh, to uh, incorporate your requirements. And is, is this correct? Is, did we capture it properly? And once that's been ironed out, uh, then there's, there's, a, there's several reviews that have to go on, mission readiness reviews and range readiness reviews, um, and then all the documentation. You know, nothing gets done without paperwork. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, I have a project plan that needs to be written, and then the mission operations director, and then the countdown. So it's, it's a, with, with six or seven months to do all this, it was, uh, it was pretty heavy, pretty heavy duty and really fun. Uh, how big of a team was working on this, and how was the work and responsibilities divided up? Uh, well, we have, uh, from, from the range, which is what I represent, uh, we have uh, contractor leads for, for each. You know, my, my primary point of contact with the, with the instrumentation folks is a uh, range support manager. Uh, and, uh, and, and then underneath that person is a radar lead and a telemetry lead and uh, a comms lead and a photo lead. All, all of them go, and it, and it flows down like that, and then it comes back up through the same chain. And how would you define a, a successful mission? A successful mission is one, first and foremost, one that doesn't hurt anybody. Mm -hmm. uh, thankfully, in my career, we've never hurt anybody. And... Uh, Hopefully, we'll maintain that that 100% success rate. But secondly, and of course, we have to make sure that the PI is happy when he leaves, that he's received all the data that he's that he was expecting, that we captured all of the telemetry, we we tracked it with radars properly, so that he knows exactly where the the, the TMA releases were were were, um, were 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 rejected, and uh, and that's. That is a good and successful mission when we can make the, the PI happy when he leaves. What would you say is your uh, favorite part of the job? Uh, by far, uh, sitting in the control center, watching watching things unfold, uh, hopefully the way that you expected it to. Uh, you know, the, this countdown was was over 400 items long, which is a, a pretty pretty lengthy countdown, and to see it click off as you would expect. And having all the players ready and, and, and ready to, to make that the, the calls for each of the steps, and just sitting back and looking at it, and just being proud of the team. What kinds so of that's the best part of it? Sure. What kinds of uh, what kinds of things are we seeing uh, in this in this four hundred uh, countdown here? Was what were some of the specific uh, uh, points? Uh, well, uh, right at the very beginning, you have to uh, you have to do arming of the of the rocket launchers of the rockets. Uh, then you have to remove the uh, the shelters, and each of the rockets uh, had uh, we we built styrofoam boxes around each of the vehicles, and, and we were pumping in heated air, conditioned air, because the payloads had to be uh, at launch time. They had to be no you know they couldn't be more than 60 degrees or less than 60 degrees Fahrenheit. So we had that, uh, and that's that's one of the things that we were so very concerned with on launch day was removing the shelters. We removed the shelters late in the countdown because we were so concerned that the winds could tear those styrofoam boxes apart. Uh, and, of course, that's not what we wanted to do. We wanted to launch the, the vehicles through the boxes. Uh, so you had the removal of the, of the launchers, elevating them and doing a, a vertical check, make sure the, the, the systems are working properly. And, uh, and, and then it was 
getting the wind waders to give us the data so that we could point the rockets in the right direction. Uh, a challenge always here is uh, making sure that we have uh, a safe hazard areas that we've been, that safety defines so that there's no boats in the area. Uh, we, we live right on the coast here with uh, our neighbors are fishermen, and uh, we have, we, we're very lucky to have a very good working relationship with our neighbors, and, uh, and they understand when we're trying to launch a rocket, they try to stay out of our way. But this, uh, this one was such a large hazard area uh, that encompassed a lot, an awful lot, so we had to make sure that those areas were clear. And, and another big aspect of it was the FAA, because we were launching five rockets and they were launching from close inshore for impacts all the way up to 550 kilometers, uh, we were taking up almost all of the airspace. So we were affecting international traffic. Mm -hmm. And uh, they, didn't, they didn't really appreciate that too much. And so they were asking uh, us to not launch before midnight. So, uh, of course... That's what we did. We didn't we didn't open the window until after midnight, which then we weren't affecting nearly as many aircraft as we would typically from 10 to 12, which is a is a high volume time for international traffic. Mm -hmm. So we were we were affecting an awful lot on the East Coast. And so now that it's launched, what's next for you? Well, uh, the very next day I came in, I started working my next mission, which is. Uh, uh, I have two of them on the books. Uh, one of them is a new a new rocket called uh, Vention's VR1. It's a, a uh, liquid rocket that we're that we're going to be launching maybe in about four months from now. And I'm also working a uh, Minotaur One, an ELV that's going to be uh, putting another DoD satellite up in space. Oh, great! And what was that first rocket? Do you know what they're going to be uh, measuring or studying? Uh, this one is is just a, a test flight. Uh, this is a commercial rocket, uh, and DARPA is, is uh, funding them. Uh, they've launched it a couple of times out at the Mojave Desert, and they want to launch it here. And they have a very ambitious schedule. They're looking at, uh, you know, in just a few years, launching an orbital mission. So they're trying – this test flight is more or less to get the range familiar with and comfortable with the launch vehicle that they have before they build it to a larger scale. Well, Jack Vera, Range Project Manager for the Atrix mission, thanks for being with us. Well, thank you very much. Uh, like I said, I hope, uh, hope I was able to instill some of the excitement that was involved in this Atrix mission. Uh, it was a great mission for me. I loved it. and can't say enough of the team that, that worked it. It was a great team. Oh, great. Thanks a lot. Thank you.